Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was reading recently of some uh, Christian traditions around Christmas time and uh, came across some uh, reading about Vikings at one time. And come to find out, we have uh, some things in common with the Vikings of long ago. The Vikings of far northern Europe uh, experienced long, cold, dark winter days, a lot like we do. And so their Advent celebrations, they focused on Jesus being the light of the world during their darkest months. And to mark the time of Advent, they would light candles inside. And the Vikings also took notice of the evergreen trees all around them. The harshest, the coldest, the darkest of winters could not sap the light out of those green needles. And so they saw these trees as a symbol of faith and eternal life that Christ brought into the world. And so what did they do? They brought these trees inside and their branches inside the houses and they decorated them. And they made Advent wreaths out of them and to mark the time of Advent. And part of the tradition, of course, was waiting, was longing, was hoping and contemplating the love of God for the world, that God would actually become one of us. We have a number of evergreen trees around us uh, here where we live, too, so it might be good for us to notice them and to think about them and remind us of the life uh, that God gives us in Christ, especially that eternal life that we have and the hope of eternal life that we have. Uh, but the people of God under the Old Covenant as well it lived in dark days at times, and they longed for, they waited for, they contemplated the day when God would bring the Messiah. Isaiah is one of the major prophets who envisioned the coming of the Messiah, and he had a unique view of things. If you've ever read Messiah or picked up on the reading today, you, you might notice some things like Isaiah seems sometimes to be far into the future, and other times he's way in the past, and sometimes he's in the present, and sometimes in a small passage he's going back and forth. And you're like, where are you, Messiah? Where are you, Isaiah? What are you talking about? Well, he saw the Savior coming as a child who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. It's a very curious passage of Scripture. 
Uh, how is it that this child that would come would also be called Mighty God? This child Isaiah talked about also had some other names too, didn't he? He was called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But first this morning, what are we waiting for? What do we think we're waiting for? Many of us would probably say we're looking for or waiting for the deliverer. We're waiting for the Savior to come. But not everybody understands that. Not everybody gets that. What do, what do I need to be saved from, your friends might ask you. Because they don't get it. They don't understand. Well, without going, to, going into too much gore and detail, it doesn't take a whole lot to look around us and see total depravity. Uh, what we call in Reformed churches, total depravity. That sin impacting everything that we do as human beings. It shouldn't take long to see someone who's suffering because of a drunk driver or has an uncontrolled alcoholic living at home or to witness the ravages of war on soldiers and innocent folks alike or to see the many points of pain in failed marriages or the violence of rape or the exploitation of migrant workers or the suffering that's caused by greed that we can see in heartless corporations or nameless government systems. If we but have the eyes to see, we could see much darkness around us in our world today. As a human race, we need to be saved, we need to be delivered, but saved from what? Well, from the problem that has always been the spiritual problem of humankind. We need to be saved from sin. Personal sin, our own personal sins. Corporate sins that we do together, systemic sins that's just built into our systems. The Heidelberg Catechism asks a good question in Lord's Day 5 when it asks, what kind of mediator or deliverer should we look for then? And the Catechism answers, we are looking for a deliverer who is truly human and truly righteous and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is one who is also truly God. Well, that looks a lot like the deliverer or the Messiah that Isaiah is pointing to in chapter 9 of his prophecy. You see, Israel's been going its own way for a long time, choosing its own path. And the people have been trusting in human power and glory and intelligence and human ingenuity uh, apart from God for a while now. In their own eyes, it looked good to them to make treaties with the surrounding nations, especially the nation of Assyria. They thought they needed to have those agreements and those concessions in place with the nation of Assyria uh, so that they wouldn't be attacked by them. And that maybe other nations would not attack them either because they, you know, they were, they're buddies through this treaty system, through a covenant with these, this other nation, this big nation, the big guy on the block. Well, Israel began trusting in other nations to the exclusion of God and even disobeying God. Morally, her people had become very confused and spiritually lost. And so it was, the very nation that they made a treaty with began to conquer them. There was gloom for those who were in distress, it says in verse 1. The land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtali were humbled, it says. And these are the regions of Israel to the north where Assyria began to attack in their conquest. The Assyrian conquest was only beginning in Judah. But even there, God promises a light. God promises that a light has dawned. He promises grace. Even in the destruction, even in the, the rubble, even in the gloom of defeat, God promises a future vision of hope. 
One day there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. And one day he will actually honor Galilee of the Gentiles, that region of the Gentiles, the non-Jews that had been humbled because of the conquest already begun by the Assyrians. Even there, the people walking in darkness and death have seen a great light, it says. A light has dawned, just as God had destroyed Gideon's enemies uh, at Midian, so he will destroy Israel's enemies. God had taken care of enemies in the past, he can take care of enemies in the future too. And so I think it's part of the vision of Isaiah there. But we get a very real sense that this passage isn't just about Midianites and Assyrians. There's something else going on here because there must be a greater enemy because a great and powerful deliverer is predicted here in Isaiah chapter 9. And so the second part of that passage that we read today is about a hope. It's about a grace. It's about a child shall come. That hopeful future outlook the sort of Savior, this sort of Savior is great and powerful, but the odd thing is that he comes, uh, as of all things, a child. The deliverer will not be a mighty warrior or a supreme general or a samurai soldier or even a Navy SEAL. Um, it says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, a son is given. But we don't know yet whose son he will be. It says he will be a descendant of King David, and it says he will reign for eternity with justice and righteousness. And he'll be given these names, a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isaiah had already told us, actually, about him in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will be called Emmanuel. This child who is to come will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This must be some child. There aren't too many humans. The ancient Hebrews would have called mighty God. Isaiah is pointing to the Messiah. He's pointing to the Savior, the Deliverer. The Deliverer is human. He's born of a woman of the line of David, and yet he's much more than that too. He's, he's all, he will also be divine. He will be God with us, our Emmanuel. He will bring wholeness and integration and peace, shalom, hope, and joy. Emmanuel has a deep and powerful meaning for Christians even today, too. God has revealed himself through the scriptures. He's it's God's self-revelation. He's revealed who he is to us in the scriptures. The creator who formed and shaped us and gave life to his creatures. God has revealed himself as the one who comes down, who speaks, who gives the law, who judges and saves. So, so God is altogether different from the creation that he has made, that he has created how could this be? God is transcendent. Maybe for some of you, and some of you grew up, grew up in certain conditions, uh, God seems so far away, so transcendent, that he never felt close. And maybe if you viewed God as being so far for removed from you that he's of no earthly good um, in your so-called real life, just know that God has come near to us in Jesus Christ. He's come near to you. This passage of Isaiah chapter 9 reveals a few important things to us this morning. And the first one is God's grace. It's undeserved, unearned, unmerited. God promises a deliverer, a Messiah. When Israel was at its worst, 
God comes to us in Jesus Christ. When we're at our worst, when we've hit rock bottom, when we know we can't save ourselves. God's grace. Secondly, we also learn that the nature of the Messiah is that he will come as a child and it's not as some warrior hero that will crush Israel's national and political enemies. So the nature of his salvation will be different. It'll be different than what the people were thinking back then, but it'll be different than winning elections for some of us today. And thirdly, we learn the Messiah will be a son. We're not sure who's in this passage yet. He will be mighty God and yet born of the Virgin Mary and of the line of David. Heaven's armies, it says, will accomplish this. The passion of heaven, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. This is no small thing, this preparing for Christmas, this marking time in Advent, hoping and looking forward. This is a big deal. God will be with his people like he's never been before. He's, he's going to take on human flesh and yet still be called mighty God. How could this be? This is a mystery. The transcendent one becomes created. The infinite one becomes finite. The, the immortal one experiences what it's like to be mortal. The Messiah will be with us and will be one of us. And of course, we know that this long-awaited Messiah is no other than Jesus the Christ. Much of his ministry was in Galilee of the Gentiles. The light has dawned on people who knew nothing about the living God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he will be enthroned on a cross in Jerusalem, that city of David, where he took on himself the tragedy, the horror, the sin of the world including our own sins. To those who would believe it, he gives righteousness, freedom, hope, and joy. So as we approach the horizon of Christmas this season, I wonder, are we expecting more of the same? What are we looking for? What are we hoping for? What sorts of things do we long for in our hearts? Better presence? More stuff? All the boxes checked on our to-do list, great deals. For what do we hope for and need? What do we really need deep down? What sort of deliverer, savior are we looking for? Bonuses, profits? And maybe a better question to ask is this, have we allowed Christ child, the Christ king, to take over the government of our own lives? Have we reaped the benefits of abundance? Peace, joy, light through Christ, our Emmanuel, God with us. For he wants to turn our darkness into light, our conflict into peace, our loss into abundance, our despair into joy. And he can do that. You know he can do that? Do you have that faith that he can do that? He's God with you when you're grieving this season because the one you've been with for so long is no longer with you. He's God with you even when others abandon you or make fun of you or neglect you. He is God with you even if you are under a heavy load of care today. He is God with you in your excitement, in your joy, in your hopeful outlook of the future, if that's where you're at today. He is God with you. Jesus is our Emmanuel. Today, tomorrow, and always. 
Praise be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God of yesterday, today, and forever, we lift our praises to you today. We thank you for blessing us with your holy word and for being with us, even this morning, by the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray for so many in our world who don't even know what they're looking for this season or what they need to be saved from. And we pray for so many who are simply weighed down by a load of care and concern, worry, who find it very difficult to wait, contemplate, and simply to be still. For many of us who get lost in the trappings and lose track of the true meaning of the season, we pray for focus, clarity, and hearts that would be receptive to Emmanuel. We give you the praise and glory this day and this season, Lord. And we do lift your name on high and worship you as the one who is both God most high and God with us in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.